If you have your Bible, would you please turn to Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. May the Lord make plain to our hearts both the meaning and the application of this, his word. This passage confronts us with the issue of fight or surrender. Fight or surrender with respect to God. And I believe that it's relevant for each one of you and it's relevant for the larger world. I'm going to take this psalm in sections. It naturally divides into four parts of three verses each. The first section Let's look at it now in detail. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The first category of people that's addressed in a psalm like this is a category of people who are openly and knowingly in rebellion against God. Perhaps they think there is no God, but they, if there is a God, they know they're in rebellion against him because they want to go their own way. And the most prominent people of that kind are the people who are most in control of things. It's kings, it's rulers, it's people of great power. But those people stand for a much larger quantity of people throughout the world. And, and if you're here today, many of you are Christian people, and you are aware of the fact that there is turmoil in other parts of the world and here as well. Uh, we see a population of the world increasing faster than perhaps the number of Christians are. We see old areas in Europe 
and in the U.S. as well now where, in effect, evangelism is needed again. Europe used to be, at least in name, Christian, and uh, there are Christian believers there now, but they are a small minority. And there, if we look to other parts of the world, to India, to China, and so on, uh, there are serious movements challenging Christianity and sometimes persecuting those who belong to the faith. So, and if we look here at the United States, we can see people who are saying, in effect, we will not have this man to rule over us. I'm quoting from Luke 19, verse 14. That is an allusion to Christ, that a people are feeling we want to move beyond uh, the basis of the Christian faith. So these things are happening. They were happening in David's day. This psalm, it probably comes from the time of David the king, something like 3,000 years ago. But it's relevant because human nature is basically the same. Uh, and then there, David had his, David was anointed to be the king of Israel. Israel was God's own people. It should have been clear that to oppose David as the king in, uh, in establishing his, the rule of Israel, to oppose him if you were a neighboring nation, was to oppose God. And yet it happened. Uh, there was opposition from Moab. There was opposition from Ammon. There was opposition from the Philistines. Various peoples of that time saying, in effect, we do not want this man to rule over us. Uh, and underneath the rebellion against David was a rebellion against God who had appointed him. So that was happening 3,000 years ago. It was happening, friends, 2,000 years ago with our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you will recognize that parts of this psalm are actually quoted in the New Testament because it was fulfilled in a greater way in the New Testament. If you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Uh, it's actually a remarkable correspondence. Acts 4, uh, verse 24, we'll begin looking at it. When they heard it, this is the uh, Christian brothers and sisters who have gathered to hear what happened to the apostles when they were dragged before the Jewish court. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's interesting that you start there. It's an important point for us, and we'll return to that point. God's rule over heaven and earth and everything in them. Verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the nations, did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? It's a quote from this very psalm. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his, against his anointed. And then and the people go on to interpret the meaning of that psalm as fulfilled in Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. You see that's a reference back to the, to the word anointed in the previous verse. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, in other words, two kings, multiple kings, multiple rulers, that is. Pontius Pilate wasn't a king, but he was a ruler. Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, 
that is, both the other nations and the uh, people of Israel. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Here's a fulfillment of a passage written a thousand years earlier, which is why the people recognize of saying, actually, even though these people were rebelling against God, they carried out only what he had predestined, what he had planned beforehand, not only a thousand years, but of course in all eternity, but he announced it a thousand years beforehand. And they're following the thing to the letter. They are carrying out the plan of the Lord. You can't win against God. So part of the message to the people who are in open rebellion against God is, you're not going to win that battle. You better surrender before it's too late. There's a second kind of category of people, however, and it is, I would describe it as people who in name have submitted to God in Christ, who would presumably call themselves Christians, who maybe go to church, maybe they've been baptized, but their lives are unchanged. And now, one of the things that comes out in here is it's an issue of rebellion or surrender. Have you surrendered to God the King and to his anointed, that is, to Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God? Have you surrendered to him or are you still fighting him in terms of the conduct of your life? So that category is a, is a category that is real as well. The third category of people is the people who indeed have surrendered to Christ. But you find in your life that sins that you thought you dealt with, maybe it's pride, maybe it's envy, maybe it's lust, maybe it's, it's desire for some alternative to the Lord. Sins that you thought you dealt with long ago, perhaps, recropping up in your life. So you've got an internal spiritual war inside. Well, the message to you is, in effect, that those things that you're struggling against, that they're going to be defeated. They're going to be uh, ruled over by the master of all. And so... I'm applying this passage. It's, first of all, of course, addressed to large-scale movements. It's nations, it's kings, it's great authority. But its application is also to everybody. And it's even internally, individually, because the principles of warfare, are you going to surrender, are you going to, to fight, those principles are the same through time, right? Because God is the same, sin is the same, human nature is the same. So I hope you can see this is relevant to you, whatever condition you are in, whether you are surrendered to Christ or not, it's relevant. So the plot is the plot to throw off the cords because the people are feeling in bondage by God's standards. And we see some of this, I believe, in the United States. We see it in other nations people who have had contact perhaps with Christianity, people who have had a Christian heritage, they say, I want to live my own life. 
however I'm going to do it. God has a response. Verse 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, this is a hard verse, I think, for some people. What in the world is going on here? It's one of the few verses where it said God laughs. Now, it's not that he's taking, not taking seriously the fact that this rebellion, but it's because the rebellion is so ridiculous. It's so hopeless. It's so foolish that you've got to laugh at it. Now, why is that? Let me give you a comparison. If you're a little gnat, right, and there's a window and you can see the sun outside and you bang your head against the window trying to get out to the sun, there's no hope. You know, it's foolish because you'll never break down the window. Well, what if you're a gnat or a fly and it's not a glass window, but it's a steel door that's two inches thick? What kind of chance do you have of banging? You're just going to hurt yourself, right? Of banging against that thing. That's what it means to rebel against the God of the universe. It's God who has consistently carried out his plan. He carried out his plan in the life of David. He carried it out in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think, think about this. There were massive people who were rebelling against the plan of God, and they succeeded in nothing except carrying it out in the time of Christ. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 4. And what the Christians of that time realized was happening is this is confirming the sovereignty of God. It's confirming what the Old Testament has been teaching all along. It's confirming even what the plan of God was. God is going to carry out his plan to the T completely. And all this rebellion, all this rage is going to come to nothing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. It's so ridiculous. The Lord holds them in derision. Then, here's the second part of his answer. Then, he will speak to them in his wrath. Now, that's another hard term for many people today. They don't want to hear. They say God is the God of love. Yes, he is. God loves his son supremely, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he is so loving, he's determined to set down and punish and and uh, eliminate all rebellion. And that's what his wrath is about. God is a God of wrath precisely because he's a God of love who loves his son. And he was going to see to it that all the earth submits to his rule. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. My holy hill. What's that? Well, <clears throat> Zion in the Old Testament was the mount on which Jerusalem was built and on which the temple was built. But it was a symbol. It was a shadow of God's heavenly dwelling. Well, now you can see from the next verses that God has, has established a king not simply in Jerusalem on earth, right? David 
reigned from there. Solomon and, and his successors reigned from there. But the ultimate descendant of David and Solomon and all those kings is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who is ultimately the fulfillment here. I have set my king, that is Christ, on Zion, my holy hill, that is the heavenly holy place. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. Now, this is, in effect, God, uh, the Father, saying to the Son. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, here's another difficult verse because we think of the Father begetting the Son in, in perhaps in the incarnation. But if you look at Acts 13, verse 33, this is actually applied to the resurrection of Christ and his being seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, I'll pick it up at Acts 13, verse 32. And we bring you the good news. This is one of the uh, proclamations of the gospel. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the Father is, again, the plan of God, unbreakable. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And goes on to confirm it with still another quotation from the Old Testament. But the point is, how can this be a begetting? Well, it's in effect declaring the son to be the son openly to the world. So that takes place in the resurrection. Today, that is the day of resurrection. Of course, the incarnation precedes of that. Of course, there's an eternal relation of the Father and the Son uh, even before the world was made. But this is openly displaying to the world that relationship uh, be in the resurrection. Ask of me, verse 8, ask of me, that is, uh, the Father is inviting the Son, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, it's that simple, friends. I mean, this is God, right? And here is an internal discussion between the persons of the Trinity, the Father inviting the Son to ask him for something. So, in effect, the Son does, right? Father, would you give me the nations as a heritage? And the Father says, yes, and that's it. Friends, that's going to happen. In effect, the first stage of that has already happened because Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is ruling today. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now that takes some time, right, for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. But the gospel is in Kazakhstan not without opposition, opposition, but it's there. It's in, it's in Saudi Arabia, even though uh, Christian worship is illegal in Saudi Arabia, but it's there anyway, underground. So the nations of the world are even now coming into possession of our Lord Jesus Christ because the Father is answering the prayer of the Son. Why? Because the Father loved the Son. There's nothing more basic than that. You may doubt, you know, in times of darkness, whether God loves you. But you should not doubt that he is 
to be joined to Christ, are going to come under his rule. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron, 